Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, reading verses 47 to 52, page 980. We read together from verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Fred, thanks. Very much indeed for reading. Do keep your Bibles open, please, uh, on that page, page 980. And uh, you might think uh, it would be useful as well to dig out uh, this uh, sermon outline uh, that uh, somebody has very kindly put together and uh, put in our bundle as well, just so you can see where we're going in the next few moments. And um, with that in front of us and our Bibles open, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Marcus and Jen going out to Thailand. Uh, For the rest of us, we're going to carry on with our lives as they are. But we pray for both them and for us, that as we uh, look at your word now, you would help us to see that there is a work for us all to do wherever we are, and give us the deep desire, prompted and uh, inspired by your spirit now, to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Some people in life are so obsessed with one thing that they will not stop going on about it. You know the sort. You know the sort. You met them, haven't you? I think of a middle-aged bloke who loved art. He wasn't short of a bob or two, and over the years he managed to inquire an impressive personal art collection. Uh, Now, look, when it comes to art, I am clueless, so I can't tell you the merits of his collection, but he loved it. And he was so passionate about his art collection that whenever anybody went round his house, he would show them every piece he had and talk about every piece he had. Some were hanging on the walls of his beautiful house. Other pieces were in his studio, his, his gallery. He loved inviting people round and then taking them through the different rooms in his house and then into his studio, at every point stopping to talk at length about each piece of work. Sometimes his wife would step in and attempt to give his poor guests a bit of uh, respite. Uh, She'd lead you into the drawing room and sit you down with a cup of tea. But still he wouldn't stop. One at a time he'd bring out another painting and then another from his studio, placing it on an easel and telling you all about it while you supped your tea and tucked into his wife's rather delicious Victoria sponge cake. And Jesus said that bloke with his art collection is what Jesus' disciples should be like when we've understood the kingdom of heaven. Look with me at verse 52 and our first point on the handout, understanding the kingdom of heaven. Tell everyone, verse 52, 
He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. There at the end of the verse is our middle-aged art collector. He doesn't leave his collection locked up in his studio for no one to see it. He brings it out. He wants everyone to see it. And when you and I have truly understood the wonder of the kingdom of heaven, then just like that bloke with his art collection, Jesus says, we will want to keep bringing out the treasure we have, talking about the gospel to everyone. Jesus expects his followers to be the sort who look for every opportunity to turn the conversation to Jesus Christ. We're so obsessed with him. Of course, we need to have the emotional intelligence to know when to stop, to know when we are boring the pants off people, uh, to read the signs that tell us that our listeners are just not interested at this point. Yes, be sensitive, but be passionate about the gospel. Long to tell everyone about Jesus in the same way that some people take up every opportunity to talk about the football or their holiday or whatever it is that has grabbed their heart. See, here we are at the end of this section of Matthew chapter 13 where... If you've been here over these last weeks, you will know Jesus has been teaching parables about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has taught many of the parables to huge crowds of people. Thousands of people have been listening in. But then, do you remember, as we've gone through the chapter, throughout the chapter, he stepped away from the crowds from time to time and given his disciples intensive personal instruction, teaching them by interpreting the parables He will teach anyone who really wants to know the secrets of the kingdom. And now, having taught the disciples, he asked them, verse 51, have you understood all these things? Have you got it? Do you get all that I've been saying to you about the kingdom of heaven? And the disciples answered, verse 51, yes. Yeah, we do understand what you've been saying. And I trust as we've been working through these parables over these last weeks, as we've been asking Jesus to help us to understand them, I trust that we too can say, yes, we understand what these parables are about. We may not know every single detail, but yeah, we've got it. And so Jesus says to us, just as he said to his first disciples, verse 52, therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Note the word therefore at the beginning of verse 52. The logic is this. If verse 51, you've understood the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, that is if you've understood these parables, therefore, verse 52, tell everyone. End of verse 52, bring the treasure of the kingdom out of the storehouse. See what he's saying? You haven't been told these things so that you can keep it to yourself. Sometimes when I ask people what they believe about Jesus, they tell me they have a private faith. They're reluctant to talk about what they believe. It's between them and God, they say. And Jesus says here, whatever that private thing is, it is not faithful Christian discipleship. And in a moment, when we consider verses 47 to 50, we will really see why that is simply not acceptable. Look, if we have no desire to share our faith with others, we can't possibly have understood the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying here. It is such good news, we will want everyone to know about it. We might not find it easy to do that, of course. I don't know anybody who finds that easy, but we'll want to. 
But more than that, Jesus says to his disciples, you and I have a highly significant role. See, in the first half of verse 52, Jesus likens his disciples to the scribes, to teachers of the Lord. You see it there in verse 52. Again, the logic of verses 51 and 52 go like this. Jesus says, if you, my disciples, have understood the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, and they just said they have, verse 51, therefore, verse 52, you are now like a teacher of the law, a scribe who's been instructed about the kingdom. Now, scribes, or teachers of the law, were Old Testament temple servants. They served in the temple by teaching God's people. That was their job. They were teachers. So here, Jesus is likening the instructed disciple, you and me, to the scribe of the Old Testament. So you and I have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in these parables, not so that we can privately hold on to them for ourselves, but so that we can pass them on which is why Jesus likens his disciples to the art collector who loves bringing out and talking about his collection, his treasure. It's the end of 52 could more literally be translated, who brings out of his treasure old and new. The point is there is one treasure. We considered that treasure back in verses 44 to 46 a couple of weeks ago. One treasure, knowing God. One treasure, being in relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ. And that one treasure is bringing together old and new. The promise of the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, we have the treasure of the whole, the entire revelation of God, old and new. What a privileged position we are in. We saw that a few weeks ago. Again, look back with me to verses 16 and 17. Just back a page. Just so that we see how privileged we are. Verse 16, Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Verse 16, Jesus, as he stood there, spoke parables. And in Jesus, as Jesus was speaking the parables, in Jesus, people were seeing with their eyes God himself. People long to see what you see. You are seeing God. And as they heard the parables, they were hearing the very word of God itself. They were seeing and hearing things that, verse 17, the prophets of old longed to hear and see. What a privileged position we're in. And so having seen everything promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament, we should want to tell everyone about this remarkable treasure. Look, if you owned a masterpiece, wouldn't you want to tell everyone? I have a Van Gogh. Want to see it? I've acquired a Picasso. Come and have a look. You might not believe me, but I have a Rembrandt. Come round and I'll show you. I know Jesus. Would you like to know him? I've been shown the meaning of life. Can I show you? I've acquired the greatest treasure on earth. Do you want it? Why wouldn't we do that? And that, of course, is what these, 
all these parables are about. If we listen to the parables and think about them and ask Jesus to help us to understand them, then we will have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In these last weeks, uh, in the parable of the sower, Jesus taught us that the kingdom of heaven grows through the widespread broadcast of the word of God. Do you remember the parable of the sower? He gets a seed and he chucks it out to anyone and everyone. So tell everyone. And Jesus taught us that even though the kingdom of heaven seems, like, seems small, like a mustard seed, it will grow to be huge. We're part of the most significant movement in the history of the planet. So tell others about it. Let them be part of it as well. In the parable of the weeds and the wheat, Jesus explained why this world is full of both good and evil. And he explained that he hasn't yet weeded out all of the evil in order to give people more time to come to know him. So tell people before it's too late. And in the parable of the the pearl of great price, we saw the infinite worth of the kingdom of heaven, worth more than everything, anything this world affords. Why would you not want to share that with other people? See, everything in these parables urges us to tell others. That's what Jesus was doing in this very chapter. Thousands of people just telling them. Loads of them weren't interested, but he told them anyway. You see, these parables should make us want to be like the art collector, bringing out of his studio the treasure he has. And the parable of the net in verses 47 to 50, the only one we've not looked at so far, should really give us a desire to tell people So from our first point, understanding the kingdom of heaven, tell everyone, to the second point on the handout, understanding the final judgment, tell everyone. See, Jesus says, verse 47, once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. A net let down in the lake. It's such a simple picture. When Jesus said these words, he was by a lake. That's where the chapter began, back in verse one. So you can imagine him pointing to a fisherman as they let down a net. The visual aid was right there in front of their eyes. And of course, some of his first disciples were fishermen. They had left their nets, their family fishing business, to follow Jesus. But you can be sure that even though they'd left the nets, they didn't forget all about fishing they wouldn't have forgotten the tricks of the trade. When I was uh, converted, I was working in the newspaper industry, in marketing and promotions. It's 30 years ago now since I left to go to theological college to train to do what I do now, but I still remember so much of those days in newspapers. So you can be absolutely sure the disciples would have known all about fishing. And they knew that there were two different types of nets to fish with back in those days. One of them was A drag net, that's the type of net Jesus was speaking about here. A huge square net pulled between two boats or if it was wide enough, pulled uh, by ropes from shore, one on each shore. The drag net would reach right down to the bottom of the sea or lake and as it was pulled along, it would scoop up everything. The net was so big that everything along the seabed right up to the surface of the water would be caught in the net. And that, says Jesus, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Catching every kind of fish in the sea, every one. See verse 48? When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. As Jesus said these words, there might well have been fishermen doing just that. 
having uh, come back into the, uh, the shore, sorting out the good fish from the bad. Picking up the fish, a puffer fish, poisonous, throw it away. A wolf eel, inedible, on the scrap heap. A red snapper, ah, delicious, we'll keep that. In the basket it goes. I know they didn't have puffer fish in Lake Galilee, but I didn't know what would be a poisonous one in Lake Galilee. As they dragged the net along, they caught everything that lives in the sea and then they sorted the good fish from the bad. It was part of everyday life, seen and known by all in Jesus' day. And so Jesus said, verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now please see three things here. There might be more, but I can see three things. First, Jesus speaks of a final day. Do you see it there in verse 49? At the end of the age, a day that's final. Jesus says here that the age we live in will come to an end. There will be a precise and definite moment in history when this age, this era, comes to a close. What a very good thing that is. Not least of all because of all that we thought about in the parable of the wheat and the weeds some weeks back. In that parable, Jesus addressed the great problem of this world being a frustrating mix of good and evil. We thought about it a few weeks ago. Yes, there are many good things in this world. But every time we watch the news, every day without fail, we are confronted by the fact that the world is full of evil. And you don't have to watch the news to know that. Just look at your own life and mine. And we thought about this a few weeks ago, confronted by evil day after day after day. Do you not long for that to be dealt with one day? Of course you do. But unless there is a decisive moment in history, we will just drift along with no conclusion and no improvement. Please do not think that the world is becoming a better place. It isn't and it won't. There is no reason for the unrealistic optimism that many post-enlightenment atheists had held for many years. You know how it was. Many believe that, um, uh, you know, a couple of centuries back, that humanity's ability to understand the world scientifically would bring gradual improvement to the point where we uh, ended up living in, in virtual paradise. If you don't believe me, listen to these words by Prince Albert as he opened the great Crystal Palace exhibition back in 1851. He said these words, opening the Crystal Palace exhibition. Nobody who's paid any attention to our present era will doubt for a moment that we are living at a period of most wonderful transition which moves rapidly to accomplish that great end to which all history points the realisation of the unity of mankind. Do you hear the optimism? Prince Albert, he wasn't on his own, thought we're heading towards a glorious time of unity in the world. 1851. What happened 50 years later, just over? World War I. The war to end all wars. Ah, oh, now we'll get it right. 20 years later, the Second World War began. And then Churchill said, if we can stand up to Hitler, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. Well, they did rid Europe of Hitler. And we thank God that they did. But the broad, sunlit uplands have been darkened again and again by the monsters that rule this world. 
So many people have had dreams of a brighter future, but those dreams are never realized. This world isn't becoming a better and better place. And so isn't it good that we're not just drifting through history on the road to nowhere? There will be an end, says Jesus. And um, don't think that uh, history is as Greek philosophy says, or as many of the Eastern religions teach. We're not just going round and round following a cyclical pattern in history. No, says Jesus, there'll be an end to this age. What a good thing that is. And we see just how good as we consider more of Jesus' words because when that end comes, there will be a separation. The second thing, second sub-point under point two, a day of separation. You see that in verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Jesus often spoke of this separation on the final day. The weeds and the wheat, the sheep and the goats here, the righteous being separated from the wicked. It's crucial then that we know who's who. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes it very clear who the righteous are and who the wicked are. Consider his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, who are the evil? Everyone. So in chapter 7, verse 11, just as a a passing remark, he says, if you then, talking about us, if you then, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much greater will the Father be able to... See what he says? Just a passing remark, but Jesus is very clear, human beings are evil, all of us. Perhaps more directly, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that evil spews out of our hearts like hot ash out of an active volcano as we speak gossip. As we think lustfully, as we act selfishly and vindictively, you and I know this is true, those moments when you know, you've tried to hold your tongue and you can't, or you choose not to. Moments when things just spew out. And even when it doesn't spew out, what's it going on like up here? The entire human race is wicked, says Jesus. We are evil which is pretty desperate to hear when we know that the wicked will be separated and thrown out of God's kingdom. So if everyone is evil, who are the righteous? Well, Jesus explains that in Matthew's gospel as well, that the righteous are those who have come to him for forgiveness. Not people who, by their own efforts, have made themselves right, because evil's in us, we can't get rid of that. They come to him. People who acknowledge and admit their wickedness. People who now live for Jesus, putting him first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And then, of course, living lives that reflect that he is first. As one commentator put it, those who trust Jesus and build their lives on his teaching. Those are the righteous people. So verse 49, at the end of the age, the angels will separate the wicked from the righteous. Separating those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as king of the universe from those who've thrown themselves on the mercy of God and who've received grace from Jesus Christ and who now live for him. And as hard as separation sounds, it's a good thing. It brings meaning to life. Look, if how I live counts for nothing at the end of the day, what is the point of anything that I do? What does it matter how I live if there's no final judgment? 
A day of separation brings meaning to life. So here teach, uh, Jesus teaches a day that's final, a day of separation, and, and thirdly, a day of, of justice. Again, verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, evil will be punished. What a good thing that is. It means that there will be ultimate triumph of good over evil. Uh, Did you see in the news this week there was the case of uh, Russell Bishop who's being retried for the murder of two nine-year-old girls back in 1986. Sadly, nothing can bring those little girls back. But their families want justice to be done. They want the perpetrator to be caught and punished. Of course they do. We want justice. We often see pictures on the news of the relief on people's faces as they stand on the steps of the high court when finally somebody's been found guilty for a previously unsolved crime. They feel it huge relief. We long for justice. Hollywood gets it. Hollywood often gets what we don't get. They get it. So many blockbusters are about good triumphing over evil. Why are they blockbusters? Why do we go and see them? We long for that. The Star Wars franchise is the most obvious. A longing that good will overcome evil. But it's there in so many Hollywood plots, sometimes subplots within the plot. We long for good and right to prevail in the end. Here's the good news. It will. What a relief. A day of final judgment and justice is good. It's very good. And of course it is absolutely necessary if there's to be a final paradise. If we're going to enjoy eternity in a wonderful new creation with our heavenly father, then evil must be removed and punished. If it's not removed, it won't be paradise. And if it's not punished, we will never be at ease, not until justice has been done. So here is Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived, the most holy man who ever lived, the most righteous man who ever lived, teaching us good things. These are good things that dispel the lies of the theologically liberal churchmen who want to tell us that God will never judge. That is wicked to say that. Not only does it go against what Jesus says, but it's just such a depressing and wicked thing that there will be no judgment. So it is good that there's a final day of judgment, but the parable of the net is also sobering, deeply sobering. It should give us an urgency to tell people about the kingdom of heaven, where they too can be declared righteous and not wicked, where they too can avoid the separation and judgment of the last day, and where they too can look forward to being with our Father for all eternity in the kingdom of heaven. So verse 51, have you understood these things? Yeah. Then be like an enthusiastic art collector or a football supporter or somebody who's fallen madly in love and can't stop talking about their new loved one. Be so obsessed with the good news of the kingdom of heaven that you just have to tell people. And as you do, be sure that they will thank you on that final day. Either because they are going to spend eternity with you in the new creation because you told them. 
or because on that final day, they will see why you tried so hard to tell them about the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've given us this quite exalted position of being teachers of the law, scribes, because you've instructed us in your kingdom, because you've told us what it's all about, because you've, you've told us the urgency of it. Thank you that you've now given us this, this, this uh, privileged position to tell others. And so we pray we'd be just like that art collector who wants to tell everyone whether they want to hear it or not. We do, of course, ask for sensitivity. But we pray, please, that you'd burn in our hearts an urgency and a longing full of you to tell others how good you are, to be speaking of this treasure that we found, that we want to share it with everyone else. And as we do that, would you, in your great kindness, help those we speak to to see the truth of it, that they too may share in this wonderful kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.